0: To learn more, click on the conference tab at beckershospitalreview.com. This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Shriram Narsapur. Dr. Narsapur leads the Department of Medicine. Uh, he's going to tell us about upstate New York, about what he's doing, about his career, and a lot more. Dr. Narsapur, can you take a second to introduce yourself?
1: Hello, and thank you, Scott. I'm Sri Narsapur. I have been in Syracuse, New York for over 20 years, but I grew up in Upper Michigan. Uh, I was trained in medpeds in Massachusetts and then did a fellowship in nephrology in San Diego, uh, worked in private practice for a little while, but since then ha- have been in the academic medical center environment with a fairly large academic medical center. I think the, the uh, total budget's about $1.5 billion. We are positioned in central New York as the only academic medical center. So we get a lot of, um, uh, of work from the entire region, and it's been a very exciting time. Uh, a lot of residents, students, uh, a lot of uh, research. Uh, everything's happening. Well, fantastic.
0: And, and talk to us a little bit about where in Upper Missions did you grow up? Where in Massachusetts were you? And, and how did you like the West Coast? Those are three quick questions about geography.
1: Yeah, yeah. So Upper Michigan is more like Syracuse than pretty much any place I've been. It's a very rural environment. I grew up in Houghton, Michigan. There's a small university there. Otherwise, it's a very small town. It was two hours to the nearest stoplight, two hours to the nearest CT scan, two hours to the orthodontist, two hours to the mall. So anything we did would be a two hour drive, basically. Um, And then I. Where is that compared to like Traverse City or? Yeah, yeah. So we're right. Traverse City and Batowski are up uh, in northern lower, the northern lower peninsula of Michigan. You have to cross the Mackinac Bridge to get up into the upper peninsula of Michigan, which is physically connected to Wisconsin. And uh, if you keep going, another maybe six hours from Traverse City, you get to Houghton. If you keep wow. going, you'll end up in Canada. And our TV stations all came from Thunder Bay. Everybody rooted for the Green Bay Packers because we were much closer to Green Bay than we were to Detroit.
0: Fascinating. So you really were up in upper, the Upper Peninsula.
1: Fascinating.
0: And, and a lot of like uh, small planes to get back and forth at one time or – Boats and everything—fascinating.
1: <laughs> it was way up there. It's very rural, and it still is to this day. It's got its own charms. You don't have to lock your doors. Uh, that, but you know, if somebody had an accident, it was—I mean, if you had a snowmobiling accident, you were out of luck because it was really hard to get you to a trauma center, and there was no CT scan and all that. It's—it's it's improved, but it wasn't that way. It, it, and, and talk to us about where in Massachusetts,
0: and then you're on the west coast too. Where in Massachusetts?
1: Yeah, so uh, I went to medical school in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan, and then I did a med residency in Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, Springfield, Massachusetts is about 90 minutes west of Boston uh, it's a very nice program very comprehensive All, everything was there I thought I was going to do primary care but I met my wife we fell in well I, we fell in love and then she became my wife and uh, that changed everything as with so many things in life she was in the military she was stationed in uh, Southern California I had to go there and do something for a little while so I did a fellowship at the University of California in San Diego uh, which was a fantastic program there was time at the University there was time at the VA, and there was time at the Naval Hospital uh, in Balboa Park. Uh, So that was a great experience. Um, She was in the Air Force as a physician at March Air Force Base. We loved we loved California, but we were uh, we had our first child there, and we were thinking about having a much quieter existence closer to our families in the Northeast. So we ended up in private practice. Each of us was in a separate private practice in Maine, in Auburn, Maine, and uh, that was fun. But it felt a little bit too far isolated, um, and, I, and I think I wanted more of the academic environment, the teaching, the research, all the stuff that goes along with that, journal clubs. It's very dynamic and challenging, so we looked around, and we found this um, spot in, in right in the middle of upstate New York. Syracuse has been home to our uh, children and uh, to us, and it feels like it's, it's, we've been here longer than any other place we've lived in.
0: Magnificent. You've really traveled a lot and seen a lot of the country. Now, Jimmy Boeheim, are you a Jim Bayheim fan or
1: not? Oh, You know what? You're asking me some really dangerous questions. I am not a fan of the defense that Jim Bayheim made famous and that he's had so much success with. I think it's time to, to, to transition, but you can't say that around here, so please don't publish that.
0: I will not ask that any further. Tell <laughs> us about running the Department of Medicine and what that's like and what your big priorities are.
1: The Department of Medicine is, as with many places, sort of the uh, large is the largest department on campus. As an academic medical um, center, the Department of Medicine is kind of the linchpin be- between all the different missions: teaching, research, and clinical care. We have a ton of residents. We have about 150. Internal med- medicine residents, and then 50 uh, fellows in specialty training. In the Department of Medicine, we have 12 subspecialties. Each of them is loaded with really a, a lot of excellent uh, and outstanding expertise. Uh, we have we have. All the ologies, cardiology, rheumatology, dermatology—you name it—we've got—we've got got it in the Department of Medicine. So it's—it's challenging because it's very different depending on which specialty you go to. The department has about 160 full-time faculty and about 500 volunteer and part-time faculty. Uh, I think we could easily have 40 more full-time faculty to fill the needs that we currently have. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Sorry.
1: And, and,
0: and, you, and you love the role, and you love what you're doing.
1: Mm. Sorry about that. I had to take a drink. Um, I do, I do okay. like it, and I, I like it mostly because of the dynamic nature of the people I'm with. They're, they're really good people. The challenges that we have are probably not unique to us, uh, but I find that when you're, when you're struggling with other people who are struggling in the same direction, um, it, it, it works.
0: No fantastic, and talk a little bit about you're having this great career. You seem to have tremendous enthusiasm, it seeps through in whether it's in the written word or in talking to you. What advice would you give to emerging leaders?
1: Do you mean medical advice? Do you mean administrative advice or just general advice?
0: Yeah, more like leadership advice, medical advice you know it will be lost on people like me uh but more like leadership advice like what would you tell a young leader trying to have a great career
1: i got you i got you i'm i'm a good person to ask that question to not because i'm a great leader but because i've made a lot of mistakes so i can i could speak with with uh, incredible expertise on this on this issue but one one of the mistakes that i have made and i actually to be quite honest i continue to make is uh and this sounds so trite, Um, it's been repeated a thousand times, but I think the key characteristic of every good leader is having that skill of listening before speaking. Because if you don't understand the people you're working with, whether they agree with you or disagree with you, if you can't develop that kind of connection by listening well, it's very difficult to move anywhere anywhere forward. Um, It is probably the skill that I'm working on the most, whether I'm in the office, whether I'm with patients, or whether I'm with uh, my family. Um, It is being Fully immersed in what the other person is saying and trying to see the world through their eyes, which allows you the ability to deliver your message, deliver your agenda, and understand how they're incorporating that information. So without a question, I think you have to be a good listener, really in all in, first and foremost. The second thing I'll say, Scott, is that uh, ironically enough, to be a good leader, you have to be a little bit of a follower. So you can't always be charging out ahead. There are times when you need to let other people take the lead, and you may be mentoring them. You may not even entirely believe that what they're doing is completely right, but your people need to have your. They need to know that you've got their back to make mistakes, to go out on a limb a little bit, to experiment, um, and you're you're just kind of keeping them within the the right uh, right and left um, uh, boundaries, but you're letting them take the lead and become. Um, uh, empowered themselves. I think good leaders do that, and that's how they grow and nurture their people. So I would say the two two biggest things that I've discovered is being uh, being liberal in my uh, in my ability to allow others in my organization to take the lead when they might not even feel fully confident, and supporting them doing that, and listening at all times to both people I agree with and disagree with.
0: Magnificent! So I, I love those two pieces of advice, both to, to learn to listen a great deal more and to know that some spots you're a follower, sometimes you're a leader, and, and learn to follow when you have to follow, learn to let other people lead when they need to lead, when it's good for the organization and good for the vision and goals. Just fantastic. Dr. Narsper, anything else about your career you'd love to share with us? Any pivotal moments in your career that led you to where you are today?
1: I don't know about pivotal moments, but I've learned a lot being in an administrative role as a physician. You know, as physicians, we are trained to think in a certain way. We think about an individual who's sitting in front of us and what's best for them. And then when you get into these larger organizations, you need to think about the system, the the global good. It becomes much more of a team sport. Not that it's not a team sport when you're dealing with an individual patient, but it's just another order of magnitude. And it means that you have to change the way you think a little bit, Scott. For example, when you're a doctor, you're thinking about getting results in days, maybe weeks, sometimes even in hours if you're in the ICU. But when you're dealing with administrative uh, functions and contracts and legal things and mergers and acquisitions, all of a sudden it becomes weeks and months. It is much more um, uh, Uh, expanded than you're typically used to. So you think you're gonna get a result and the contract will get signed in one or two days, and it it doesn't happen. You have to have that understanding and that frustration tolerance that things move at different paces depending on where you are in the organization. The other thing I kind of learned, and this is gonna sound really funny because I'm talking so much, but I learned how to do the elevator pitch. Doctors love to explain things, especially professors, in great detail, but people fall asleep. So you have to be able to deliver a message in a very clean, quick format that the other person is tuned into hearing. And um, I found that to be really, really important and something that I'm still working on, how to deliver a clean message with exactly what you want to say without over speaking and losing your audience. No, 100%.
0: You're allowed to talk on this because you're the interviewee. You're the (laughs) podcast guest, so you're supposed to be talking a lot and not listening, so it's completely appropriate and okay. Anyways, Dr. Narsipro, what a pleasure to visit with you. What a great career, and what a journey. I mean what a journey you've had from the Upper Peninsula to Maine to Massachusetts, Springfield the Basketball Hall of Fame. I take it you're not in the Basketball Hall of Fame, California, (laughs) and now upstate State New York. What a magnificent career.
1: Oh thank you that's that's so nice upstate upstate New York is kind of an interesting place and I don't think too many people appreciate how um how many things go on here. Uh, it's in a way, it's sort of got this blend of a lot of different things and people think of it as being snowy and remote. but there's actually. Stuff going on. I mean, Syracuse University, as you know, has some pretty good sports, and because they're here, there's a lot of culture. There's a ton of outdoor stuff to do, and if people like to go fishing or biking or hiking, it's very easy to do. So it's been it's been comfortable. But I have to it's tell you, it's a beautiful area of the country. Yeah, it's a beautiful area of the country, but you cannot be beat the beaches in, in Southern California. I, I I I miss it all the time.
0: No, hundred percent, a hundred percent.
1: Where well, are you, Scott? What a
0: pleasure. To, we're in Chicago, but what, but you know it's uh, you, you, it it's sort of Chicago is sort of this great mix, and it's got
1: yeah. Oh my goodness,
0: it's a it's a, it's family's here, and I've been here forever, so it's home. So it is what it yeah. is. But there's obviously geographical places, more tax-friendly places, lots of places that would be more elegant to live in than Chicago, but this is home, so it is what it is.
1: And it's Dr. Yeah, yeah.
0: What a pleasure to visit with you. Just terrific. Thank you for joining the Becker's Healthcare Podcast today.
1: Thank you. Have a wonderful day.